our Christmas series today that we called The Promise. And if you're wondering why we did a Christmas series, and there has been no donkeys, and no shepherds, and no wise men, and no sheep, um, and no angels, and all of those things, let me just say that we are saving those for our Christmas Eve service. Okay, so now typically our Christmas Eve service is on Christmas Eve evening, okay? So normally it's in the evening before Christmas. Christmas Eve this year is actually on a Sunday. And so in order to give as many people an opportunity to participate as possible, we are going to do our Christmas Eve service in the morning. And that's going to start at 10 o'clock, run to 11. So bring your family, bring your kids. If you've got people visiting, come and join us for that. We'll have food and, and, and snacks and stuff out in the lobby beforehand. And you'll just truly enjoy it. And I promise you there will be shepherds and stuff like that on Christmas Eve. This series called The Promise, what we've been doing, is it's been super short. It's really just had three weeks. And this is the third week of that. The Promise, uh, what we're talking through is the three parts of the promise of God that we find in Scripture. We started two weeks ago with the vow. Okay, and with the vow, what we were talking about is God's initial seed planted, his initial words spoken, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, no sooner had Adam and Eve fallen away from God, breached the relationship that God had made a promise. He started speaking into existence the truth of how he was going to repair that relationship. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her seed. He shall crush, bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So there's this picture immediately, right? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, those initial words spoken, the vow. And then last week we talked about the vigil, the wait in between the initial vow spoken and then the reality that the consummation, the beginning of the fullness of time, as it talked about in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, um, uh, the fullness of time as God brought about from the vow all the way to, through to the consummation of that. We talked about the fact that he waited and that our God is a patient God. And just as he is a patient God, he wants his people to be patient people, people who are willing to wait just as he waits. And so that's what we talked about last week. So we've talked about the vow, we've talked about the vigil, and this week we're talking about the amen. Can I get a amen? amen. That's what we're talking about today. Amen's a fun word. It's an interesting word. It's a word that really truly is you can find, if you go anywhere in the world and you find believers in this other culture, different nation, different language, and you talk to them and you pray with them, you'll end with an amen. And it might be said just a little bit slightly different, but for the most part, it's going to be very, very similar. In fact, I wanted to share with you how to translate amen into various different languages. Albanian, Basque, Belarusian, Bosnian, Bulgarian, Catalan, Croatian, Czech, Danish, Dutch. Is there a difference between Danish and Dutch? Apparently. Estonian, Finnish, French, Galician, German, Greek, Hungarian, Icelandic, Irish. Okay, why are the Irish so different? 
They like have to put an apostrophe in everything. Right, Dan O'Dean? <laughs> Never mind. All right, inside joke. Italian, Latvian, Lithuanian, Macedonian, Maltese, Norwegian, Polish, Portuguese, Romanian, Russian, Serbian, Slovakian, Slovenian, Spanish, Swedish, Ukrainian, Welsh, and Yiddish. Okay? Now, as you look at that, I see a whole lot of amens. And there's a reason for that. Because this is considered to be the universal word in just about every language you say it, very similar. Amen. And, and, and even for that, there's a reason. It's because it's difficult to translate. English stole it from Latin, which stole it from Greek, which stole it from Aramaic, which stole it from Hebrew. It goes all the way back to the Hebrew. And, and, and Christians say amen, and Jewish people say amen, and actually Muslims say amen as well. The universal word. And the reason why it's not translated into new languages and come up with a different uh, a word for it is that it's difficult to translate. What in the world is meant by amen? It does mean something about truth. What is real, what is unshakable, what is certain. And so you find in Scripture the word amen a lot because in Scripture we're talking about those things that are true, unshakable, and certain. So you hear amen all through it. A great verse that kind of talks about this is in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16. In Isaiah 65, verse 16, here's what it says. And this is a promise that Isaiah is giving in the midst of a dark time. And as part of this promise, he says, it will not always be this way. It will be different. There will come a time where in the land, you will once again rely on the God of truth. Here's what he says. So that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. The word that's translated as truth there is amen. So what this says in a translation, so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of the amen. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of the amen. Truth, certainty, absolute, unshakable is the word amen. And a lot of times you'll see it translated different ways in Scripture. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus used the word amen differently than anybody else. In fact, every time that you look in Scripture and you're reading and Jesus is talking and it says something like he says, truly I say to you, that word truly is the word amen. If you have an older Bible, verily I say to you, verily is amen. He uses the word amen 70 times in the Gospels. 30 times in Matthew, 13 times in Mark, 6 times in Luke, and another 20 times in John. And every time he uses it in John, he actually says it two times in a row. Truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you. Which is hugely important. Here's why it's important. Because Jesus is not appealing to a higher source. He's not appealing to say, Here's what scripture says, let me interpret it for you. He is saying, 
truly, amen, this is, un, un, you can't question this, this is absolute truth. I am saying that this is the case, and so he is putting himself even above scripture. He is declaring his own divinity when he says, amen, amen, I say to you. Hugely important that we understand that. But at the same time that some of us see this sort of thing, we're not used to it. Like, I hate Apple. I hate it. The company, I hate them. I, I won't even tell, never mind, I won't even say that. But I have lots of Apple products. I have MacBooks and Apple Watches and iPhones and iPads and Apple Pencils and Apple underwear, I mean, like, they just came out with them. They're super nice, (laughs) well-designed. But I hate Apple, and there's a reason for that. It's because they force you to update your phones. (laughs) They don't give you a choice. It's like an update comes out, and they say, Update your phone. And if you say, remind me later, because you can't say no, it's just remind me later. So then it comes up again, and eventually you just get to the point where you're just tired of it, so you update your phone. And as soon as you update your phone, it slows it down. And you're like, what are you doing to me? And every time they come out with a new phone, they force out a new update, which you think is really so that you can get the newest, greatest services and, and all of those things. But that's not what it is. It's forced obsolescence. Like, they're, my phone's two years old, and a new phone comes out, and all of a sudden my phone slows down. Really, Apple? Really? And every time that they change things and they make new services, which makes your phone go worse, They make you sign a new terms and conditions. And I hate the terms and conditions. Like nobody ever reads it. But I decided to. And I read it and I'm never doing it again because as you read it, here's what it says. It says that I, as the user, have certain things that I must do. And I, as the user, have certain things that I must not do. And I'm pretty sure I bought the phone and paid for it, but I don't get to choose what I do and don't do with my phone regardless. You get to the part where it says what Apple will do or won't do. And whereas when it's my turn, the things that I'm supposed to do in order to fulfill this contract I have with Apple, I must and I must not. But when it's Apple's turn, it's we may. And we reserve the right to at our discretion. And you're like, what in the world? I did you a favor by buying your phone and now you're acting like it's, you can change anything you want and I'm pretty sure they do. I can reduce the terms and conditions to you must and you must not, but we'll do whatever we want. And that's the terms and conditions. Just hit agree if you're up for that. That's why I hate Apple, okay? Apple is the opposite of the amen. Take it and run with it. Put that on Facebook, all right? (laughs) Apple is the opposite of the amen. Because where the Apple is saying, or Apple says to us, this may or may not be the case. We might do this. We might not. The amen says, this is true. It is established. It is unshakable. And it will not change. And so when Jesus says in the New Testament, 
amen, I say to you, he is saying, this will not turn. He is saying, I am above Scripture, and I am defining what is true and what is not. Now, when God says amen, it means that. And when Jesus, nobody else in the Bible uses amen that way. For us, when we say amen, it's always a response to truth. For us, when we say amen, it's that we see truth in someone else, or we see the truth that God declares, and then we say amen as a response to it. We don't define what is true, but when we see truth, people are looking for truth. This is why Elizabeth and I, we want something that's unshakable, so we're going to sell our house and invest all of our money in Bitcoin, because there is no way that that's going to crash. It's a rock-solid investment, and, and we're all looking for something that's like that, and, and most of the time, we won't find it unless we look to the one who says Amen. So when we say amen, it's a response, and there's really three definitions to it. So be it, let it be, or no, sorry, it is, so it is, let it be, and so be it, okay? It might not look like there's a lot of difference in between those, but there is. There's a big difference in between those three different definitions. We'll come back to it in a little bit. It's vital that we understand what amen means as we dig into our scripture for today, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, as we're closing up this series with the amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Here's what it says. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. That is a deep scripture. And that, I mean, there's some awesome words in that verse. And, and really, two of them in the ESV are even capitalized. Two of the words that are there besides God, it's yes and amen. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, which, wow, that sounds awesome, but what in the world does that mean? What does it mean that it all of the promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. Well, the promises find their yes through fulfillment. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. There Jesus is talking and he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Did you see what he just did there again? Truly. The word truly in that is the word amen. For amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a word, not a dot, not an iota will pass away from the law. So what he is saying here, and this is huge, he is saying, I am elevating myself above scripture because i am testifying to the truth of scripture so scripture i'm the source of what's true and scripture finds its its truth in me like are you getting that that's huge that he says that but so then he says okay so i'm not coming to do away with the the scriptures that we find in the old testament the law i'm not do, coming to do away with those things i've come to fulfill them 
So when you see the promise and the vow that's made in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, through the seed of woman, the head of the serpent will be crushed and his heel will be bruised, fulfilled in Jesus. And when we see that the seed of Abraham, through the seed of Abraham, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed, fulfilled in Jesus. When you see Moses and Joshua leading the people out of bondage and into the promised land, fulfilled in Jesus. That's what he said in John chapter 6. Verse 39, verse 46, he said, listen, these things are fulfilled in me. Moses wrote about me. And it's not even just those types of promises that we see fulfilled. All of the things that we didn't even know were pointing to Jesus in the Old Testament. As we look back, we're like, wait, that's pointing to Jesus. And and so when Isaiah talks about the suffering servant, Jesus, in Hebrews chapter uh, 9, when it talks about the fact that that, that the blood in, in the sacrifice is actually pointing to Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 24, when he talks about the priesthood fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus came and he fulfilled all of those things. So when we read the Old Testament, we say, boy, this is pointing to Jesus. And as we read the verses there, it has found, the promises have found their yes in Jesus through his fulfillment of them. Okay, that's normally where we go to with the yes. But we stop there. But Jesus didn't just fulfill them. The promises find their yes in purchase. Through the fact that Christ purchased them for us. In Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. See what it's saying? It's saying that. Jesus Christ purchased these promises, which were not supposed to be for us. I shouldn't say that. They were no to us. But because of what Jesus Christ did, they became yes to us. Have you ever noticed that kids have a hard time understanding the word no? But they have absolutely no trouble whatsoever understanding the word yes. Like, you say no, and they're like, I'm sorry, what do you mean? (laughs) No. But when you say yes, it's three letters, but they have no problem whatsoever understanding that word. And I've noticed that it actually gets worse when you go to a grocery store. (laughs) This is truth. You go to a grocery store and it's like, the word no, I mean, you don't understand. The kids lose it. It's like all of it is gone. And you have to say it so much when, when really, let's just say it in advance. No, and then walk in the door. But man, when you're walking down the cereal aisle at Walmart, you might as well just start saying no as you turn the corner. And no, 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 and out, you know. And it's the worst. I think it's the worst when you get to the register. I used to think, why in the world do they put all this junk at the register? And it's like you can't even lean down there to get it because the guy behind you really doesn't want anybody to get in between you and them. So they're like, 
wham, wham, keep running into you. So, but you can't reach down there and get it. And then I realized when I had kids what it was about. It's not for me. It's not at my eye level. It's for my kids. And they go, oh, man, I want that, and I want that, and I want that. And for my kids, like, they've never heard yes so I think they've given up, but I've watched and I've seen how hard it is when you're in the cash register aisle, how many times you have to say no, because the moment you say yes one time, it's all over. You're going to have to say it all the time now. Well, here's the thing. Through Jesus Christ, as we are walking through the promises of God, he never once says no. That's what the scripture says. That Jesus Christ paid the price in order for these promises to be yes. Boy, they weren't intended. They were not originally written to be yes to you and me. But then through what Jesus Christ accomplished, those promises as we walk through them, yes, 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 yes. It's like yes is God's favorite word in Jesus Christ. So in Jesus, all the promises of God find their yes. But there's still, I'm convinced, one more way that the promises find their yes in Jesus. It's through, it's through uh, fulfillment. It's through purchase. It's also yes through confirmation. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What do you see when you see Jesus in the manger? Is it the highest possible gift that God could have given and if he is willing to give his own son, why would he hold anything else back? If he gave his greatest gift to us, will he not also along with him give us other things? What a promise. So it's a confirmation of the fact that the promises are yes to us. He's like the signature on the dotted line. It's like, it's like in Jesus, God declares yes to mankind. He says, this is an unqualified yes. This isn't a yes but. This isn't a we may or at our discretion. It's yes. And I want to read one of those promises that are yes to us. In Christ, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, here's what it says. Verses 1, I'm going to go all the way down through verse 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat, because it's been paid for. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price, because it's already been paid why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for which that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. 
Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. This promise was not originally to you and me. Prior to Jesus, this would have been no to us. And yet in Christ Jesus, it is fulfilled, the line of David. It is purchased and paid for. And it is confirmed for you and for me. This is yes. You know what my favorite word in this is, though? Right at the end. Verse 3. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. You know what that word sure is? Amen. My amen love for David. See, Jesus in the manger means yes to mankind. Jesus in the manger means that the promises are fulfilled, purchased, and confirmed. And when we look at him, we see that all the promises are yes to us. But that's not the end of the verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Go back and read it. There's one sentence that says that all of the promises are yes to us. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Period. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. What in the world? We utter our amen. We respond by saying amen. Now I gave you three definitions of amen. So it is, let it be, and so be it. I want to go through those three meanings and kind of talk about the difference in between them so we understand what's being said here. When he says, through him, that is why through him, we utter our amen to God for his glory. So the first one is, so it is. And in so it is, it is, it is that we witness to the truth with amen. Okay, so this is the most common usage of the word amen in scripture. You find it all throughout. You find it a lot in the Psalms. And I want to go to one of those. Psalm uh, 30, let me go to Psalm 41, verse 13. Psalm 41, verse 13. This is the end of book two of the Psalms. Verse 13 says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Okay, so this isn't something that we are adding to the truth by saying amen. It's established. It is set. God is the everlasting to the everlasting. He is the blessed one. Like, there is not by us saying amen, we aren't adding to it. But we are witnessing to it. It's established. It is true. And we witness to it by adding or saying our amen. Okay, so this is the most common usage. This is probably the usage you use when you're praying and somebody prays something and you say amen. Or when the pastor says something and you say amen. It's like, okay, that makes sense. So it is. It is true. This is established. It is, it is unshakable. This is truth. And I recognize it as such. And I respond by saying amen. But there's another usage. Let it be. In 1 Kings chapter 1, we kind of 
get a glimpse of what this might look like. Let it be is not, it is where through the amen we invoke truth. Right? So, so it's not that it is established and true already, it's that we're calling it into action. First Kings chapter 1, there's really like a dark moment in Israel's history. In one night, everything can change. David is near his own death, and now a second son is trying to usurp the throne, Adonijah. And so he declares himself as king. Most of the people come over to him, say he's our king. In fact, even Joab, the commander-in-chief of the army, has gone over to his son who is usurping the throne. So David calls together his closest advisors, and he says to them, no, Adonijah will not be the king. Solomon will be the king. And when he becomes the king, his throne will be established. Now, this is not yet enacted. Right? He hasn't been declared king. There's already a different son who has been declared king, and it seems like the vast majority of the people have gone along with him. And yet, after David says that this will be the case, one of his advisors, who's the head of like his personal bodyguard, guy named Benaiah responds in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 36. Here's what he says. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, say so. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. Okay, So to him, now for God it may have been settled and set and we knew what was going to happen, but for Benaiah on this night by siding with Solomon, he was risking his very life. Because if it went against them, Adonijah would have taken it out on them. So this is like a hopeful amen. David has said something and he is invoking it. He's calling it into, he says, amen, may it be as you have said. So it's a hopeful amen. It is calling it into action. And there's still one more way that we say amen. And that is, so be it. Through so be it, we submit to truth with amen. If a pastor is ever preaching, and you find that they've gotten into a loop, say the same thing over and over and over again. They're skipping. Here's what you can do to break them loose. Say amen. (laughs) And here's why that works. Because pastors, if they feel like the church isn't getting it, they'll say it over and over and over and over again until they feel... So if you want a shorter sermon, you start saying amen regularly. pastor's like... Man, they're miles ahead of me. <laughs> like, try to keep up. And you'll be out of here in like five minutes, okay? So this is, this is another one of my gifts to you. By the way, today, I want you to know it's really true. The kids in the kids' service are memorizing uh, uh, Psalm uh, 62. So just where you're wondering, when they bring your memory verse home, they are learning today to wait quietly. So Merry Christmas. This is the second one. Shorter sermons. Merry Christmas. But... but with the first times you find amen in scripture, it's not like a happy amen. Okay? It's not like a woohoo amen. In fact, the very first time in scripture, it's a curse. 
and all of the first times in Scripture, it is God speaking a curse and the people responding by saying amen. Here's an example. Deuteronomy chapter uh, uh, 30, 27, sorry. It's Deuteronomy 27, verse 15. There it says, and this is a part of, if they walk away from God, he announces a curse. Verse 15, cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of craftsmen and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say amen. Okay, so that's not like a, woo, amen, God, bring the curse. No, this is, we hear the truth, and we submit to it. So when we say amen, it's not just like, oh yeah, that's truth, recognizing it, witnessing to it. It's not just calling it into action. It is bowing before truth. It is saying, okay, God, we hear that that is true. And we respond by bowing before the truth. If we walk away from you, oh God, may those curses come upon us. That's what they're saying when they say amen. But I read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. And I wonder, the first part of it says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. And it doesn't stop there. It says that we need to respond by uttering our amen to God for his glory. Why is it so important that we respond by acknowledging truth as truth, witnessing to truth? Why is it so important that we invoke truth? Why is it so important that we not only uh, 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 call it into action, but that we also submit to it? Why do we need to respond at all? It's not like the truth becomes true when we acknowledge it as truth, right? If I decide, you know what, God, you're wrong. Scripture is very clear. Romans chapter 3, verse 4 says that if every single person were to say, no, God, you're wrong, God would be true, and we would all be liars, right? Us acknowledging it as truth, and truth has taken a beating lately, right? And it's almost as if we think that if we acknowledge it as true, it becomes true, but that's not the case. God be true, and every man a liar is what it says. So even without us, it's true. So why in the world do we need to act on it? Why do we need to respond? Well, quite honestly, because I think if we don't, we are treating the promises of God like our grandma's china cabinet. We look at them. Boy, they look pretty. Might even tell people about them they stay behind the glass because we're afraid that if we take them out they might get broken the promises of God were never meant to just be admired the promises of God were meant to be eaten off of but we're so afraid because the surety of humanity's word is so frail. And so we treat God as if he's the same. Nations make promises and break them. Governments make promises and break them. 
Friends make promises and break them. Enemies make promises and break them. Politicians make promises and break them. Advertisers make promises and break them. Husbands make promises. Wives make promises. Brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles. We make promises and then we don't live up to them. So there's this fear that if we take it out and rely on it, that it will somehow let us down and the promise of God will be broken. But when God makes a promise, he never overpromises and he never underdelivers. In Jesus Christ, the promises of God are all yes. It is God's unqualified yes to mankind. But then we must respond. We must say, oh yes, God, and receive and acknowledge and take that truth. So, in Christ Jesus is the yes of God to mankind. And in Christ Jesus is the amen, the yes of mankind back to God. They meet in Jesus. I love it when these two words meet in Scripture. Yes and amen. Because it's the yes of God to humanity. And it's our response back to God of amen. And this isn't the only place where we find these two words together in Scripture. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of earth will wail on account of him. Even so, period. Amen, period. You know what that even so is? Yes. Yes, period. Amen. Period. Revelation 22, verses 20 and 21. The last verses in Scripture. He who testifies to these things says, surely, surely is yes. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And what's so interesting is that here is this promise at the end of Scripture, which actually looks incredibly similar to a promise he made all the way back in Genesis. When he was talking to Abraham, and he said to Abraham, yes, Says, starts it off the same way. Surely, yes, I will return to you in a year and your wife will be pregnant. And what was the response there? Laughter. And here we are at the end of Scripture. Looks incredibly similar to that. Yes, I, will, I am coming soon. And what is the response? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. In Jesus is God's yes to mankind. And in Jesus, we need to make sure that God finds our yes, our amen, back to him. This is why Christmas is so important. Because when I see Jesus in the manger, this is what I see. I see God fulfilling. I see him purchasing. 
I see him confirming. And I see us responding. So it is. Let it be. So be it. My favorite verse that I read this week as part of this is Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. There it says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen. The Amen here is Jesus. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus is the Amen. Jesus is the established and true from whom all things that are true flow. From whom comes absolute, unshakable truth. Jesus is the Amen. And so when we see Jesus, we must see him as that fulfillment, purchaser, and confirmer. And we respond by submitting to the truth, by invoking the truth, and by witnessing to the truth. And that's why this morning I wanted to end with worship. I wanted to end here because of the fact that we need to respond to that which we know to be true. Because we can just sit back and say, boy, that's great. Amen, that's true. But if we are not turning it back to him, what does it say this is about in 2 Corinthians 1.20? For all the promises of God find their yes in him, and that is why it is through him that we utter our amen, what? To God for his glory. So we're doing it in order that God would receive the glory for that truth which he has revealed. And so the first song that we're going to sing today is before the throne of God above. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and I just want to walk you through the lyrics of that. We could bring it up on the screen this morning. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is written on his hands. My name is hidden in his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no, power, no force can, power can force me to depart. This is truth. This is truth. This is yes to us in Christ. And now we respond by in Christ uttering our amen to that. So as we worship, I encourage you to respond that way. As those in Christ Jesus who have seen the yes of God to humanity and those who through him for his glory utter the amen. Father, today we